Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always. I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It's another day closer to college football, kids. It's already Wednesday. Did you realize that? It is. It's already Wednesday. It feels like the week is just kind of rolling by here. That's kind of how it is in college football season, right? Then we'll get to the open date, and it feels like, man, it feels like a month since we played a game. A lot has happened since we've been together. Coach Zach Arnett spoke with the media on Monday. We also had a handful of players that day. We uh, That evening we had uh, both Matt Brock and uh, Kevin Barbet speak. Last evening we had the opportunity to speak with Coach uh, David Turner and Will Friend. We'll talk about some of that stuff because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Also had a chance to uh, to transcribe and go over all the LSU player interviews. A few uh, comments out there that may be of note to you. A lot of people talking about this football game. It's interesting because I've been doing this a long time. I'm an old guy, man. I, I, I was writing on the internet in the 90s. A lot of newcomers out there these days. I guess in many respects, uh, as the kids would say, I may be considered an OG. I don't know that I'm comfortable with that label, but uh, I'll wear it nonetheless. But uh, yeah, I've been riding by Mississippi State for uh, 26 years now. And so it's interesting. Uh, there's you know so many opinions these days. And there's a lot of walk-on media types. And I, I was a walk-on media guy in the beginning too, because... Uh, you know, nobody really respected people in, in what was considered internet journalism, right? We were all just a bunch of, uh, you know, degenerates in our mom's basement, you know, listening to old Metallica cassettes. Some of us listening to CDs, writing about sports. They said, oh, well, they're not college-educated people. What do they know? You know, now we're all credentialed members of the media. In fact, jeanspage.com. The company that I own, we have the largest sports staff in the state of Mississippi, period. What a long way we've come from Gene Swindoll working part-time on a web page, thus the name Gene's Page, as a part-timer in addition to doing an accounting job with the railroad. Yeah, that's how it all started. Now we got the largest sports staff in the state of Mississippi. A lot has changed in the time that I've been in the game. And we're still going to do our best to, uh, to continue to change the game. Told you guys, you know, we're making some changes, brought some new blood on. Be some other changes to come. You know, we're always, you know, looking for the, uh, you know, for the next thing. I, I'm not a minimum effort guy. You know, I, I'm not. And I hope that you're not either. You know, there are a lot of people out there to get to a comfortable standard of living and they just kind of stop pushing. Like, you, you lose the hunger and the ambition to keep going. That's what makes a guy like Nick Saban so remarkable, right? He wins an AFL championship at LSU and then says, you know what, I've accomplished everything I ever wanted to accomplish on the college level. Let me go to the NFL, goes up there, gets his uh, cranium cracked. Goes back to Alabama and, and builds uh, the greatest dynasty college football has ever seen. After he won a couple of NFL championships at Alabama, he could have said, well, you know, it, it, it's good enough. No, no, he wanted to catch Bear Bryant. 
And now we've got the greatest college football coach in the history of the game still at a high level. It's crazy. And the reason we remember things like that and people like that is because of the fact that they have some ambition. That's what happens, though. You know, I don't want to give you too many platitudes on the show. A lot of people are critical of me from time to time and say, Steve, I, I don't like it as much when you preach. I'm not trying to preach. If I was, we'd uh, hum just as I am and pass around an offering plate and have an altar call at the end of the show. But uh, it's one of those things, though, it's like it's interesting when I look back over, you know, kind of the pathology of what was once considered Internet uh, fan journalism. And there's still a lot of the uh, you know, fan based media. I'm, I'm an unabashed Mississippi State fan. Uh, I think I can be objective about things. I tr- certainly try to be. Uh, there's sometimes I can't I admit that. But I, I don't mind calling it for how I see it, good, bad, or indifferent. It's interesting, though, that uh, you know, when things are not going well, you can't be negative enough in the eyes of some people. They're not going to be satisfied until we bulldoze the stadium and close down the campus. You know, uh, you know the, the light at the end of the Maroon Tunnel has been turned off for non-payment, right? They're not going to be happy until you do that, you know, until we have Dr. Keenum indicted and Zach Selman run out of town, right? I mean, that's, you, know, you can never satisfy the mob. And in some cases, the mob always wins. Just got to make sure that we're all moving in the right direction, right? Uh, but it's so interesting. You know, when I go back and I think about all these things, you know, the older you get, the more you look back at your life and you begin to realize, you know what, well, we've come a long way. Accomplished some really cool things. You know, I, I would venture to say that uh, maybe the course of the last four or five years, I think every major Mississippi State news story has been broken on our website. There was a time that we would just kind of defer to the clarion ledger. Like, if there was a negative story, even if we knew about it, we would just say, yeah, we'll let the ledger break that story. And then, you know, my attitude was like, why are we giving that away? Wouldn't our people rather hear bad news from us than the, the clarion ledger, right? And I want to go ahead and clarify this, too. I, I think Steph, uh, Stefan does a great job at the ledger. I don't see him in the same light as I do many of his predecessors, right? We've had some really good... Uh, Clary Ledger beat writers, uh, as of late, you know, you know, Will was a guy that I really respected a lot, you know, but uh, I like Steph a lot. I do. And uh, you never know, one day I may come calling for Steph. I may try to hire him, you know. But uh, the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, things have evolved. And it's so interesting. There were so many people in print media looked so incredibly arrogantly down at all of us. And then they became us. It's like, well, you know, we're going to be in the paper. And uh, I remember, too, you know, I didn't plan to spend a whole lot of time on this uh, history lesson today. There was a time early in my career we couldn't get credentialed to cover the high school state championship football games. We couldn't. They would not credential us. Now, they would credential, you know, the bug tussle press that may have had a circulation of 500 because they actually had a newspaper. It may have been a once-a-week paper, but they would credential those people. But here we were, you know, a a 24-7 media entity that could put up an instant update. We couldn't get credentialed. And then after we fought and scratched and clawed, they would at least let us go to the game for free and take pictures from the stands. And then Todd Kelly, and God bless Todd Kelly, and I'll be honest with you, Todd, when Todd was the beat writer at... um, at the ledger 
for Mississippi State, it wasn't the best of times. It got a little chilly between Jackie Sherrill and Todd Kelly. It did. And there were a lot of people on the Bulldog side of things. We, we looked at Todd Kelly kind of with a look of disdain because it's like, hey, well, he's out here challenging Jackie Sherrill. And there were times that Jackie wouldn't even acknowledge him in press conferences. And it was bad. But Todd Kelly took over uh, as the media contact for the Mississippi High School Activities Association. And Todd's like, hey, we need these guys down here. You know, why would we limit our coverage opportunities for the internet guys who can have a story up within an hour and the paper can't do it until tomorrow at the earliest? Why would we not allow, you know, Scout and Rivals and those guys to be on the sidelines and go into press conferences? And so things got a little bit modernized, and that's how we kind of how we are in Mississippi, right? We have to kind of be, you know, drag pulling and screaming, you know, into the future. And uh, I remember the individual and many of you may know who this person is. I'm not going to identify them by gender or name because it's not about them. But the thinking behind all that was so incredibly antiquated. You know, it took a changing of the guard. And you can look, that's not just germane to the High School Activities Association. I mean, you look at Mississippi State. You look at Ole Miss. You look at everything, really. And, and, and I don't know if we're terminally unique in this respect, you know, there's a lot of times we're very, very resistant to change within this state. We are. I could give you some history lessons today, but I won't. We're not going to do Mississippi history on the show. Uh, but I just thought I, w- I would share that because uh, I remember, you know, I used to have a day job too. I was in a retail furniture business for a long time and I would write, you know, part time just because that was my dream. You know, it's like all of a sudden I just started writing again to have a creative outlet. You know, you get married, you have kids, and you want a little something for yourself. And and that's not in any way that I regret being married. I love being married. I think being married is the most wonderful thing, being married and being in love with your wife. And and Dana and I talk about that stuff all the time, you know, especially now that, uh, you know, she's back. You know, after spending almost eight months out in New Mexico, it's terrible. We talk about that, how wonderful it is to be, you know, 30 years married and still be in love and still be attracted to each other. You know, that, that's amazing. I, I know that we're in the minority, okay? And I'm not trying to rub that in your face. It's a wonderful thing. I love being a father. I love being a grandfather. Matter of fact, I'll be a grandfather again here in about two weeks or less. If God says the same, you know, we got another grandbaby on the way. We can't wait for her to get here and see her interact with her big sister. We can't wait. But there were always those times, too. I was married. I was happy. I had children. I was happy. I was very successful in a retail furniture business. And so everything's going good. But you know, there was just I didn't have a creative outlet. I was like, I just want something for myself. And so I started the Robertson Report, you know. And I don't know why all these emails are coming in. I don't know. Well, let me just turn that down. How about that? Let's just turn that off, Steve. How about that? we got to listen to all that, that uh, dinging. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted something for me. And so I started picking games, and I would write, you know, little silly comments and things like that, kind of Louis Grizzard style or whatever, because I loved Louis Grizzard when he was a syndicated columnist. I used to read him every single time he was in the paper. Loved it. And then it became all this, you know, and uh, I'm in- eternally grateful to Gene Swindoll for giving me an opportunity, though I think it was more of a savvy business decision for him, and he is – uh, kind of jokingly admitted that um, at times. I, I think Gene saw me as a potential competitor, so he hired me to keep me out of the marketplace, you know, and, and I, it's worked out well for everybody, you know. 
And uh, I would venture to say the last few years of Jeans Page have been the best ever. And as a matter of fact, in the year that I have owned the website completely, uh, we've had the biggest year we've ever had. The biggest year. We're producing more content right now than we've ever had. We, I think we had 16 stories on game day of game one and uh, 15 this past Saturday. I remember we used to have three. And we thought we were doing such a great job. Like Dave Murray would do like the AP Flash Gamer. We'd come back with coach quotes. We'd come back with player quotes. And we're like, man, look at what a great job we're doing. And now we're doing double-digit stories on game day. And most of them are free. You can check all our team content out. But uh, I don't know. I was feeling somewhat nostalgic today, you know, kind of thinking about all this stuff. And um, every so often I will take a little time and take a deep breath. And I think about how all this has kind of come to be. And, and I'm, I'm proud. I, I, I am proud. And uh, my wife tells me all the time, and, I, and again, I love her to death, you need to take some time to appreciate all this. You need to take some time. Don't always be thinking about the next story and the next game and the next big break and that kind of stuff. You got to take some time to stop and smell the roses. And uh, so I kind of did that today. You know, I've been up for a little while and uh, just kind of thought about, you know, I look around this house. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Sometimes when I think, you know, uh, Dan and I's first apartment would fit in our living room with room to spare. And I don't say that again to kind of praise the fact that uh, we've accomplished a little something in life, but it's just to kind of show how far we've come. And uh, I, I have so many people that reach out to me, young and aspiring writers, a ton of college students from around the Southeastern Conference. Uh, matter of fact, I got a message last week from a young guy from Colorado uh, attending school at Colorado State. It just happened upon Flim Flam a couple years ago. And, um, yeah, kind of became a fan and says, hey, listen, I, how do I do what you do? How do I get to that point? And the thing that I'll tell you is this, is there is no shortcut. And as successful as we've been, I want to be more successful. I'm just going to say, you know what, we're happy where we are. You know, no, no, no. I, I want to continue to be the most dominant brand in all of Mississippi State media that's ever been, ever. And so... I have these people that reach out to me, and the advice I give them is similar I give to you. Whether you're a writer or a, a quilter or a chef or the Maytag repairman, whatever, whatever you are, don't be satisfied with where you're at, ever. Don't ever get to the point and say, you know what, this is the destination. It's always part of the journey. It's always part of the journey. And that's the thing to understand. There's no stopping point. There may be periods in life you maybe rest a little bit and take an inventory, but you got to keep pushing. And that's not just in recovery. That's not just in business. That's not just in personal relationships or friendships or whatever. You got to keep pushing. And you always got to focus on what matters most. That's the thing when I always find myself getting a little bit distracted and I get a little bit down on myself. And, you know, it's when I focus on the minutia. And sometimes we forget what matters most. I've shared with you guys before, and I don't even know if this program still exists. But if you can find it, it's well worth your time. It was a frankly Covey, Covey planning class called What Matters Most. It changed my life. We talk about recovery and how important that was and Dana, how important she was in fatherhood. But as a person and as an individual, that class, that Franklin Covey planning class, What Matters Most, changed my life. It helped me get organized, helped me organize my thoughts, have a plan for each day, uh, and again, kind of prioritizing things and how to delegate things. I didn't know those things because I was always a guy that was always, you know, I always felt like I was so hardworking and so smart and intelligent. I could just do all this myself. And the truth of the matter is I can't. As much as I want to, there are so many hours in the day. And it's also, I got to have a life and on top of that. So if you can find that, I encourage you to buy that. If you're a person that sometimes gets a little bit disjointed and fragmented, buy that. And adapt. And that gets me back around to my central point. You know, that was around the time I said, you know, I got to have something for me. You know, I got to have some things for Steve that are uniquely Steve's. It's not that I'm keeping it from anybody. I'm not lording over it. It's not something that I'm ashamed of. But I got to have something for me. And so I started this little email newsletter thing called the Robertson Report. We it started out being a few friends, and next thing you know, we got like 2,800 people on the, on the mailing list. And it's just me talking, you know, talking trash and picking games, a pick'em's column, right? That's what it was. 
And so you got to have a little something for yourself. And uh, don't be selfish about that, though. There's some people today, nowadays, you know, it's like, you know, what I was brought up in, and, and we'll move on after this, because I feel like I've, I've spent so much time talking about this, but I think it's important. I was brought up in a Levite tribe, man. My grandmother, Joe Selman, God rest her soul. The thing that I learned from her, probably the biggest thing that I learned from her, is that if you really want to be happy in life, you got to serve other people. You can't be selfish. And that's what the world will tell you something different today. I mean, if you, if you ever, you know, if you ever need bad advice, just go to social media and read all these people telling you about all the things that they should do for themselves. It's all about you. No, it's not all about you. And if you truly want to be happy in life, you got to put other people first. You got to put other people first. And I don't mean that in an unhealthy way because I get such joy from doing something for somebody else. I had a chance to speak last week at a treatment center here in Mississippi. I won't tell you which one. I had a chance to go speak. It just one of those things. Somebody hit me up and said, hey, man, we'd love to have you come. And I went. And on the way home, I cried my eyes out because I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful the fact that I'm not that guy that's four and five weeks sober, sitting in a treatment center, listening to some guy tell his story, and not knowing where the world's going to take me. I'm not that guy anymore. And I cried because of the fact, too, that it was me. I was that guy that was telling them, hey, it's okay, man. You can make it. You can make it. I was the one giving the experience, strength, and hope. And so it's important to understand every aspect of that. When I feel best about myself is when I'm out of my own head and I'm doing something to help somebody else. I wrote about this yesterday on Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook, you can go read it. I do the randoms. You know, they're usually about recovery. That's the thing I wrote about is, man, it's, uh, you know, why do I do all this? It's so that others may live. I've been given a gift, man. I've given a second chance at life that I didn't deserve. And so when I look back at all that stuff, I think to myself, I will be repaying this the rest of my life and I willfully do it because it makes me feel better about me when I'm doing something to help somebody else. This is a matter of life and death, man. It is. And I'm so grateful to those people that came along early in my recovery that sowed some seeds in me, not knowing me from anybody, just carrying the message. And so, again, one of the things, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm on all these social media platforms and that kind of stuff in recovery, and one of the things I always tell people, people are like, oh, I'm so down in the dumps and I'm feeling sorry for myself. Go do something for somebody else. Go do something for somebody else with not any expectation of getting something in return. Uh, that is one of the greatest things that you'll ever do for yourself is to do something for somebody else. Treat yourself, though, at Bulldog Burger Company. We'll finally get into that. How about that? Uh, yeah, Bulldog Burger Company. I, I've been there a lot here as of late, and uh, I can't even walk by a mirror these days, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's just how it is, man. I walk by that mirror, and I think, man, I know that Steve's uh, spring roll intake has been uh, been on the uptick, right? Yeah, because the spring rolls make you and everybody around you better looking. They'll improve your disposition in life. Have the spring rolls next time you're Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, let me think here for a second. I had the... Uh, I had the sweet heat chicken. No, Dana had the sweet heat chicken sandwich. I had the Mississippi barbecue burger. The time before that, I had the chicken sliders. Those uh, bacon chicken, bacon chicken ranch sliders. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I had the uh, the sloppy Joe fries the other day. It's outstanding. You know, that's the thing. It's like a lot of times I go, I already know before I get there what I'm going to order. But I also like going when I go maybe a couple times in a week. Like I've already satisfied my initial craving. I can kind of experiment a little bit. That's the thing I love about Bulldog Burger Company is no matter what I order on the menu, I'm going to leave her satisfied. Yeah. I can't say that about most places, but I can. Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. Uh, University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Rich and Flowwood area. Uh, I had the M&M shake to go the other day. Got the Nutella shake last week and then got the M&M shake earlier this week. Uh, and there's there's always like that special shake. They're always kind of shaking it up, pardon the pun. But uh, you get that shake and you ride that ride home with a smile, man. It's outstanding. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's back up a little bit to Monday. Uh, Zach Arnett came out and said, hey, he really thought in hindsight he made a mistake by telling Kevin Barbet uh, to get a little more conservative after that 19-play drive that kind of gassed out the defense. I think they were on the field for eight minutes of game time. Now, I'm not quite sure how to take this, uh, so I'm going to just kind of give it to my opinion. My honest opinion is think about what you know about Zach Arnett, right? Zach has always been the guy, hey, put it on me. Put it on me. My honest opinion is I think Zach is like maybe kind of standing in the gap for Kevin Barbet here. You know, Zach doesn't go over there and run the offense. He may have a suggestion or two. He goes, hey, I went and told him to do this. You know, and I don't, listen, if you have ever coached football, you ever played football, you've ever really watched football and been more than just a fan of the tailgate, you understand when the defense has been out there for a long time, offense has got to do some things, right, to go make some things happen and get a couple first downs and give them a chance to get a blow. I don't think Arnett needed to go tell Barbe that. I think it's just one of those things that's kind of ingrained in, in the DNA of people that understand the game of football. But Zach stood up there and said, hey, you know what? I wear it. We should have been more aggressive. We had a chance to knock him out. Uh, I remember, and I don't remember exactly the year. This was back in, uh, in the early 90s. You know, we go quick change. You know, Dan Mullen was big on the quick change too, right? We get a turnover. We had had, I can't remember who we were playing. It may have been Kentucky. Maybe. Um, but we had this long possession for, for Kentucky, and we finally make a stop. Like, we, we make a play, and I want to say we picked off a pass. We picked up a fumble. But either way, we had stopped this long drive and nearly returned. I want, it had to be a pick. And we, and we brought this ball back. And then the very next thing we do, the very first play call, and I want to say uh, Watson Brown was our offensive coordinator, is we took a shot at the end zone. Now, as uh, my dad, Freddie Robertson, would have told you, there are three things that can happen on that play, and two of them are bad for the Bulldog defense. You say, but Steve, what could that be? Well, we could throw an interception – which is what we did, or we can throw a touchdown. Now, that's not a great thing for the defense. You said, yeah, but we got more points. Well, they got to get right back out there. The best thing that can happen on that play call is an incompletion if you're a defender. Now, for the fans, it's like, hey, got a touchdown here. Well, you know, late in the ball game, that might be significant as you get some separation. But if you're going to do it and wear out your defense, there's a good chance in that fourth quarter they're going to be gassed. I get both sides of the argument. 
But the reality of it is this is a team game, and sometimes part of the offense, even when they can't score, is to save some wear and tear on the defense. That's how it's all come, kind of comes together, right? You know, and a lot of times your defense is out there more than the offense, right? That's why the ball possession is so important. You know, it's, people say that, you know, time possession is a meaningless stat. Well, it's not if you're on the defense. You absolutely want to have your offense have the football more than, than their team. You're more likely to score. But also, too, you keep your defense fresher. So, yeah, it's not a meaningless stat. It may be meaningless as it equates to winning itself, but over the flow and management of a football game, it's very important. It's important to understand that. Uh, so I think Zach said that. And, you know, maybe he did second-guess himself. You know, In the moment, I think he made the right decision. Because what if we go out there and throw a pick? And we'd all would have been groaning, right? Many of you would have been throwing something at your television, you know. You're like, we finally get off the field and this is what we do? That would have been the argument, right? And you're never going to satisfy the, the naysayers anyway, right? I mean, no matter, no matter what you do, what you say, you're never going to change your minds because your minds are made up, right? But I don't know if, you know, I, I think that maybe Zach Conkey does with his players. I mean, there's been some times in the past where I, I've seen guys not make good plays. And I'll speak to Arnett with the camera in hand, and Arnett will say, I made a bad call there. Now, I don't know what the call was, but I've watched football enough to know when a guy had to make a play. But there's his coach standing up for his guy saying, I made a bad call there. And that's really code for, I'm going to stand up for my kids. And if you don't think he's going to stand up for his, for his coaches like he does his players, you're probably kidding yourself. Zach Arnett is a loyalty guy, very much so. And it's important to kind of understand that as you kind of move forward. Arnett also told us that uh, safety Jacoby Albert is out for the year. You know, he was a four-star recruit, signed with Kentucky, transferred to Mississippi State. There were some times in camp he was running first team at safety. Got banged up in camp. They tried to give it a go. He, you know, going to wear a brace and uh, just can't work out. And uh, we hate it for the young man. Again, he has not played significant snaps for us this year, but uh, he's gone. And uh, he would have played some significant snaps for us had he been healthy. That's the thing to understand. People say, well, you, know, you can't miss what you never had. Well, we had him. That's the thing. We, we knew what we had in practice, and we're not going to get a chance to sit on the field this year. Uh, Calvin Dinkins is out for this game and the next game, and I would suspect at least the next game. I think Calvin Dinkins is probably out for a month, but there's been no official declaration or word on that. Um, but, yeah, we've talked to some people, and, yeah, he's, uh, he's out for a little bit. Not for the year, but he's out for a little bit. Not going to play this weekend against OSU. Not going to play next weekend against South Carolina. Uh, we'll just see how he responds, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a quick fix type deal. He's just going to need a little time to heal up. And Calvin's a guy that's kind of coming into his own. Looks like a million dollars. He's learning to play SEC football. But, uh, yeah, he's not going to play. Uh, we think everything, everybody else is okay. You never know what's going to happen in practice, right? I mean, you, you never know what happens in practice. Uh, you know, uh, there were some guys that got a little bit banged up in the game Saturday. They'll, they'll certainly try to give it a go, you know. Um, you know, we appear to be pretty healthy outside of many of those other things. But uh, the reality of it is, is Bulldogs get ready to go play OSU. Uh, Kevin Barbe did say that he felt, and he says it in his opening statement, I didn't even have to ask him, right? He just kind of of his own volition says, you know what? 
I'm not oblivious to other people's opinions and, and what people's perception are. And, yeah, I got a little bit too conservative. We started playing not to lose in the second quarter. He didn't say that. I'm saying it. But that's kind of the, in a nutshell. That's what it means. Because he goes, you know what, we were too conservative in our play call. And he's right. Now, I could sit here and say, you know what, in the third quarter, you know, we did some things that didn't make a lot of sense. And that'd be true. I also don't have the liberty of knowing exactly what plays were called. And that's the thing, everybody, it's the buzzword. We say, well, play calling was terrible. We don't know what play was called. What we're truly evaluating is offensive efficiency. We didn't score as much as we needed to. And we, we, we want to call it play calling. We have no clue what play was called. Zero. That's one thing. Too. Well, I thought our play calling was terrible. What was the play call? And they look at you like, you're, like your head is on fire. Well, I mean, you know what I'm saying? No, what you're saying is we didn't score enough. And we're just using, you know, the, the label of the week, you know, the football jargon uh, to kind of, you know, make it seem like that our opinion is a little more valid. The reality of it is, is Mississippi State left way too many points on the field. You can dress it up and call it whatever you want to. We can call it a lack of offensive efficiency. We can call it a you know, poor play calling. We can call it, uh, you know, maybe it's too much of a, a departure from the air raid offense. Maybe we've made a decision in the offseason to employ a new offensive system. You, know, you, you can find whatever reasons or excuses, whatever you want to label them, but the reality of it is, is we were not good on offense in the second half. And Barbe steps up to the microphone and says, you know what? That's on me. That's on me. Probably the one sequence that probably bothered me the most is we give Will Rogers a football and we go empty and we find Tulu, who is a weapon and a man coverage with him in a slot. I don't, I don't care if it's LSU, Alabama, whoever. They're, they're going to have their hands full. That's not to say that Tulu is going to win every time, but I like my odds with Tulu Griffin in the slot against somebody's third or fourth best defense back. Don't you? And so we go empty and we hit Tulu, and next thing you know, we've got a big play, and then, you know, Arizona safety comes over and hits him late. That's really out of frustration. Gives us 15 more yards. And then what do we do? Instead of just going no huddle or running tempo or letting Will just kind of run the show, we decide to go, we're going to run the football. And we end up having to kick a field goal. Now, if we score a touchdown there, there's no drama late in that ball game, right? I just don't understand at times we do some things that are kind of offensive inhibitors, Right? When you got them on the ropes, knock them out. Don't just sit there and jab. When you got them reeling, you drop that big haymaker behind your back and you bring it over the top and you knock somebody down. That's what you do. And so as we get into this week and just maybe call this uh, insider trading here, if you think that Mississippi State's offense – is what you saw against Arizona is indicative of what you'd expect to see against LSU, you're, you're probably going to be surprised. We're not going to run out there and run that same game plan against LSU or against Arizona. We're not. Now, does that mean we're going to go back to the air raid? I'm not going to go that far. But I think you're going to see some things that are a little bit different. And some people will come out and say, see, I told you they were holding some things back. 
for LSU. I don't really know that's the case, but I think what, what really happened, I think what the, the temptation for a play caller becomes whenever you start getting separation in a ball game, right? And as Barbe says, we're popping off runs six, seven, eight, 14 yards here, you know, in that first half. And it's like, you know what? Let, let's just stick with what works. And maybe we don't get as deep into the game plan. And so you start thinking, I don't want to show too much. I don't want to give LSU. If we can win this game just tossing left and right, you know, why would I ever show them anything, these new wrinkles you put in? I, I, I wouldn't do that. And so that's the temptation as a play call. We get separation, and you think to yourself, even though we're not up three scores at the half, you think to yourself, we should be. So what we're doing is working, so we're going to stick with that. Well, then Arizona adjusts, and that was one of the comments that I brought up too. Uh, if you notice in that second half, every time Mike Wright got the football, it was it was a jailbreak, and they're, they're sending six and seven. So I asked him, I said, hey, you know, Mike Wright was an SEC quarterback. Why – and it came across that I was being a little bit argumentative with Kevin, and I absolutely didn't intend it that way. But defenses are not showing any respect for Mike Wright as a passer. So why is Mike not getting more opportunity to throw the football? Because if all we ever do is bring in Mike Wright and run the football, there's not a defensive coordinator in the country that's going to think, well, we've got to be pretty balanced here. No, you're going to sell out to stop the run. I think there's a good chance Mike Wright throws football this week. Pretty good chance of that. And I also think that uh, LSU's not dumb enough to think that, hey, just because Arizona did this and had some success when it weekend, too. Uh, they'll do some run blitz, but I guarantee you that they'll be a little bit smarter when it comes to that, too. Because, listen, you don't get to coach in the Southeastern Conference without not understanding the psychology of the game, right? And so they'll understand that we're probably frustrated with the fact that, right, got stonewalled much of the game last week. So, oh, so they're going to keep us honest. They're probably going to throw a pass. So they won't be completely uh, surprised by that. You know, it's not like it's the old Miss defense. But, uh, but my point being is that uh, those comments are very important. Now, we also uh, you know, heard Brian Kelly talk about uh, their secondary issues, right? And he said he knew in camp it was going to be a challenge this year. And that's the thing that I asked myself is, you know, how did LSU build the brand on DBU? And rightfully so. It wasn't just a hashtag or something cute that somebody in marketing came up with. You know, there was a, a stretch there where LSU had the best secondary in the country, with rare exception, for several years. I mean, you think about the Honey Badger and Patrick Peterson. I mean, it's just there's so many guys you look at and say, man, it's legit. They're DBU for a reason because they're putting all these guys in the league. You look at the group they got out there now, and you don't feel that way. At least I don't. Maybe you do. I know, I know kind of interacting with my friends in the LSU media, uh, they're worried about secondary. And in order for us to make them really worry, we're going to have to do more than run football, right? I think we all see it. And that's the thing. As an offensive play caller, you got to think, okay, what matchups can I exploit? Where is this defense showing some, you know, maybe some wear? You know, they've had a couple guys a little bit banged up. You know, but they also have had some guys that are young, very talented, but inexperienced. And so can you use that inexperience against them? I think that's for Barbe. I think that's the challenge for Barbe is, can, number one, can we protect enough and long enough to get Will Rogers and the Bulldog wide receivers open and to make some plays in that secondary and kind of get them on our heels a little bit? Because I'm going to be honest with you, this LSU front, 
is still legit. And listen, Mason Smith is back. He, he played limited amount against Grambling. Former five-star recruit. He was the number seven defensive lineman in the country. And, uh, yeah, that's he's a dude, man. He hadn't played much. And, uh, and, you know, he was out for the year. Last year he got hurt against Florida State. Missed the rest of the year. Was suspended for the first game of the year this year because a pre-NIL autograph signing thing, which I think is absolute ridiculous. I think that's the kind of stuff that you should just kind of grandfather it in, right? It's like – and I understand – you know, rules are rules, and I believe that too. But when you're beginning to be more student-athlete conscience, especially in hindsight, so you know what, that would be legal today, and it's just a few autographs. You know, it's not like you got a car. I think, you know, the good people with good sense would say, eh, let's probably let this go, right? That's just me. But he played last week against Grambling. Uh, the guy can play. He can. Now, is he in – Game shape yet? I don't know about that. But uh, this front's legit, you know. Um, you know, Wingo's a guy, obviously, that um, transferred in from Missouri. He's been a game-breaker for him. You know, so that front's going to be good. And uh, they pride themselves on stopping the run. You know, we want to run the football. I think deep down LSU wants us to run the football. I don't think they want us to throw the football. I think with their front, they're thinking, you know what, I hope they line up and try to run against us as much as they did against Arizona. Because we're kind of built to handle that. And so I think, you know, maybe you come out and you get a couple of tosses going to get those guys running around a little bit. And, uh, but I don't know that I wouldn't come out and just go – I'd go four and five wides and just go no huddle right down the field because, you know, I think they're anticipating Woody Marks left, Woody Marks right. And I think you give that to them later. But if you look at what we've had success with in recent years, running football against LSU is when, you know, they're running three-man fronts or they're dropping their backers and everybody's doing a drop eight, right? Well, they're not going to do that now. It's not going to be the same defense you saw last year from LSU. You know, they're going to try to get off the ball and get in the backfield. And so in order, in order to hold those guys honest, I think maybe you come out and you go empty or stretch them out a little bit, or maybe you keep Woody in as a personal protector and, you know, swing him out there in the flats. That's what I would do. I would I would show them air raid on that first drive, and I would have everybody on that LSU sideline absolutely freaking out. We spent all week expecting them to do this, and they're back doing the Mike Leach thing. That's what I would do. Obviously, you have the players capable of doing it. And I don't know that I just wouldn't let Will Rogers call the plays. Hey, Will, this first drive is yours. And you know what? If we go down and score, the second one's yours too. I'm just trying to win a game. That's one of the things Barbe said, too. We just want to go 1-0. We're, you know, we're not holding anything back. We're going 1-0. But I would come out guns a-blazing. That's just me. Zach Arnett hadn't called and asked me anything. But I suspect, that, number one, you're going to see more balls in the air. But also, too, uh, I don't think it's just we're just going to line up and run a bunch of scripted running plays the first drive and then punt and say, okay, well, now the game will start here. I think – and I wrote this on Gene's page. You don't beat a bully with a counterpunch because you may not even get the chance to throw one. You got to come out swinging. You got to get your crowd in the ball game. It's important. Uh, final thing we'll talk about before we move into today's top ten list. Emory Jones, offensive lineman from LSU, uh, made a comment that's uh, making the rounds. I don't know that anybody in the LSU media had even had the transcriptions of those interviews from yesterday up by the time I did. I don't know. I didn't go looking for him. 
But he made a comment says, hey, they don't have a lot of star players, talking about Mississippi State. Now, looking at that quote in and of itself is a bit inflammatory. Now, you look at it in context, I don't think he meant it as a slight, but I think it's being perceived as a slight. I think when you look at the video and you watch him, and he spoke really kind of lovingly about Mississippi State, about he can't wait to get up here to the Cowbells, and this is a young guy that's never played here, so there is some exuberance about having a new experience, right? But he basically says, and probably the phrasing that he got from his coach was probably different, but he says, they don't have a lot of star players, so they move a lot of people around. I don't think he meant it to be critical of Mississippi State, but that's how it's going to be received. And uh, probably when he said it, I'm sure the, uh, <laughs> I'm sure Michael Bonnet's staff at LSU was thinking, uh, I don't know, you know. Don't need to give those guys any bulletin board material. Um, but it's out there now. Uh, of course, uh, Malik Neighbors, former Mississippi State commitment, is at LSU. He spoke and uh, talked about how uh, State plays a lot of off coverage and they think there's going to be a lot of holes they can get to. Yeah, I think, you know, we're going to preview the full game on Friday. This is a very, very tough matchup for Mississippi State. And I worry more about uh, you know, Mississippi State's offense against the LSU defense. I think defensively we can match up with those guys, uh, despite what maybe Emory Jones and Malik Neighbors think. I think State uh, can do a good job. And people forget, uh, other than Jaden Daniels playing some backyard football, LSU managed just one, one score in three quarters last year. So I think Arnett has a pretty good idea of what they want to do. But Daniels, of course, uh, was a bit of an X factor last year. So what did we learn? Arizona learned a lot of things based off last year's tape and gave us a, a, a more difficult matchup. You know, can we flip the script and do the same thing to LSU except finish the deal? That remains to be seen. Uh, also hearing, too, that LSU running back Armani Goodwin will play this weekend. He has not played uh, this year, and, and he is kind of their bell cow. And uh, they've kind of done it by committee here as of late. Uh, but listen, if you've got Armani on the field, you got to give him the football. And again, I don't know how game ready he is. Uh, but also John Emery is back, former Mississippi State recruiting lean. Uh, John Emery from Destrahan, former five-star uh, running back. I, and just so you know, when they were talking about making him a five-star, I opposed it then. And I think that the evidence will show that I was correct. And uh, Emery's a guy that's been uh, missed some time due to academics. He's back. Uh, you know, wish the young man the best. You know, hope he really gets it going after this week. You know, I think maybe next 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 Saturday is probably a great chance for him to just kind of figure some things out. You know, but uh, he has been a bust. You know, there's no question about it. Uh, but he's back. But they do have a couple guys that are out. Matthew Langlois is a guy that uh, Mississippi State uh, recruited and had LSU not offered. He would have been a Bulldog. And that's really the case for most kids in Louisiana. It's just kind of how it is. Uh, but uh, be that as it may, it appears that both teams are in pretty good health. Both teams are missing a couple guys, but your notables will be out there. And I think really the X factor for State is Xavion Thomas. Is Xavion Thomas closer to 100%? Didn't play a lot last week. Had the one big punt return. Uh, so hopefully this week uh, he is much closer to his natural self. We need him on that field because I think games like this, if you're Mississippi State and you're facing you know a talent differential, you know, you've got to make plays in special teams. And I don't just mean – make the standard play. you got to make some explosive plays in special teams, and Savion brings that element uh, for sure. You might be able to kick all the kickoffs through the end zone. Uh, not going to kick all the punts through the end zone. And hopefully we can make them punt enough from their own end and you can get some good field position. But uh, I do expect a very competitive game. And, again, we'll break that down in its entirety on Friday.
right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. I believe in shopping local. I believe in eating local. But I tell you this. When it's something as important as your mortgage, maybe going local is not the way to go. Okay? All due respect, you need to go with somebody that has the expertise to get you from your dream to the closing table. And that's Blair Chandler. You can give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Guys, 22 years of experience in the industry. It's true. I mean, why would you go get John Q. Bulldog to be your closer when you could have Jonathan Holder, right? You go get somebody with the expertise and the experience to get things done. I wouldn't just saddle you up with just anybody, right? Blair's a friend of mine. I can call and text Blair whenever I want to. He'll take my call. He'll take yours too. That number I gave you goes directly to Bo. Excuse me, directly to Blair. Better not go to Bo. It goes to Blair. Uh, but here's the deal. You need to make sure when you're dealing with something as important as your mortgage, you deal with a mortgage professional. 22 years of experience, back to back to back. Top closing ratio in the country. Top 1%. That's right. He knows all the tricks. And more importantly, he doesn't have to cut corners because he just simply knows how to be your advocate with underwriting. That's Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. All right, I'm excited about this one. I am. The new order list did okay. It actually was comparable to Nirvana, which kind of makes my point. So that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, this one is one that's kind of been on my mind a little bit, and I hit Roy up. I said, what if we did this? And one thing I love about Roy other than the fact he's a bulldog, he's a good dude, he's the kind of guy you can trust around your family, right? I mean, yeah, right? It's good to have male friends in your life. It's, you know what? Hey, if my wife ever needed to ride somewhere, I could trust this guy to bring her. I don't have to worry about him getting fresh. I think Roy also knows, too, that I would have Roy, right? Um, but all that said, I wanted to do David Lee Roth covers because I was – Jamming some Van Halen recently. And if you haven't done that in a while, you owe it to yourself. And listen, okay, listen. I love the Sammy stuff, but sometimes I got to go back to the straight dope, man. I got to go back to women and children first. I got to go back to, got to go back to fair warning. You know, I got to get that stuff in, man. I got to go back to Van Halen 1, which is an iconic album. Van Halen 2, another great one. I think... As great as one was, I think there was an evolution with the band, with Van Halen 2, that is unmistakable. But, uh, you know, of course, they, after, they pumped out like four albums in like four and a half years. And so the record company, Warner Brothers, is like, hey, we need another record. We, we got to get you guys uh, back in the studio. And the guys were exhausted. And it showed in Diver Down. As great as it was... You can tell, kind of in hindsight, it wasn't their best effort. And in, in many respects, it's a covers album. They got a lot of covers on there. So I got thinking, well, what if we put together a David Lee Roth top 10 covers list? You guys love covers. You love Van Halen. You love the DLR uh, solo stuff. And listen, we could probably do, you know, we could work in the Van Hagar stuff too. It's almost disrespectful to say that. I know that. I know. But I thought, you know what, let's celebrate Dave. 
because some of my favorite David Lee Roth covers actually came in his solo discography. So Big Bag Bill is Sweet William Now did make our list. And that was kind of a joke between the boys. They thought it was a terrible song and thought, you know what, let's have some fun with this. Happy Trails didn't make our list. Could have. It's a great rendition. But it didn't make our list. So tip of the cap to those two tracks. But here you go. The top 10 David Lee Roth covers, including his time with Van Halen. That's your topic for today. I think you're going to like this list. I, I do. I love it. And I've enjoyed going back and, man, jamming, diver down, and listening to all that stuff. There's just so much. There's so much layer in all that stuff. I mean, it's like the way that Eddie, because Eddie could play the keyboards. Eddie played the rhythm, played the lead. And, um, you know, Sir Edward Van Halen, man, I don't know anybody that did it better. Yeah, I was on Jacques Doucet's show yesterday, and we talked a little about music, and he asked me about, you know, Van Halen, uh, Van Hagar type stuff. And, uh, you know, the thing that I go back to, a little trivia question, too, about Van Halen, a little bit of trivia that uh, Dana, your part-time top 10 hostess, shared with me, something she read. Now, I haven't gone out and vetted this out, but it makes perfect sense to me. We've all seen Back to the Future. And, uh, you know, Marty puts on the spacesuit and goes into George's room and slips the uh, headphones over there and he plays this uh, loud guitar. And on the tape, it says Edward Van Halen. Well, the reason it says Edward Van Halen and not Van Halen is because when the band was approached about the idea, only Eddie thought it was a good idea. And I believe it was Michael Anthony that said, oh, that'll never go anywhere. And so Eddie did it, and it kind of became an iconic moment in American uh, cinema, at least in the 80s. So there you go. That's how it's, that's why it's Edward Van Halen and not Van Halen, because they could have certainly just licensed a Van Halen song. They didn't do that. So here we go. Top 10 David Lee Roth covers. Number 10, That's Life. That's what all the people say. I thought Ed did a great job with it. Ed's so over the top. Excuse me, Dave, pardon me. And get it out. Uh, let's turn that off again. Uh, Dave is so flamboyant. I think he's probably the only rocker from the 80s that could pull that off in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way and then make it cool. It's great. Number nine, another one, and this is from the Crazy From The Heat EP. I remember having his cassette thinking, yeah, how cool is this? You know, we got little Dave Lee Rostov. Is he, is he going to rejoin the band or not? Things changed. But it's just a gigolo. The video is hysterical, too. If you're unfamiliar with it, I, I suggest pulling it up on YouTube and checking it out. Number eight, and there's a little bit of controversy behind this one. Uh, so Van Halen just kind of wanted to put a single out. This is in advance of Diver Down. They just wanted to do something to kind of stay relevant. And uh, one of our other songs that's a little farther down the list was the original cover song that they recorded to be a, just a single just to have it out there. They were kind of ahead of the game, right? Nowadays, everybody just kind of releases a single every couple months, and then, you know, in six months, they say, okay, here's an album. You know, they give you the six singles they've already released and then throw in some filler and call it a day. But it was the great Roy Orbison track, Pretty Woman. And you can't listen to Pretty Woman without Intruder, so maybe Roy will include that for us. Maybe I'll text him after I get done recording. Include Intruder with Pretty Woman, because I like the intro. And uh, I read some notes on that. They wrote that in like an hour. 
You know, it's like, hey, they, they liked it. It's three minutes long, so we're not cutting anything. We're just going to run it like it is. Number seven, back in their bar days, Van Halen used to do a lot of cover songs. And they were really big into the kinks. And so a kink song makes Diver Down. Where have all the good times gone? It's great. I love the uh, I love the guitar on it, even though it's not an original Eddie Van Halen riff. He kind of adds his own style to it. It's better than the original. Number six. It's a cover of a Dionne Warwick song. I don't know whose idea this was, but um, Yolanda Ronstadt had a hit with it too. Uh, I think Van Halen's version is the best one. It's "You're No Good." You're no good, baby. You're no good. Number six. Number five. It's another kink song. It's You Really Got Me. And uh, I love the opening riff to this. It, uh, and even though it was a kink song, Van Halen kind of made it their own. Absolutely love it, man. There are some people that argue this is the best of the Van Halen covers. I might be able to get behind that on some days, but uh, I think their rendition of this is really kind of made it an iconic song in many respects. You really got me. Number four, this was the original plan for the Between album single that uh, the band wanted to push out. And Eddie said he just couldn't get a feel for the song, and then when he put it out there, people were like, hey, it sounds just like the original. It sounds nothing like the original other than the fact that it uses the same lyrics and the timing is the same. But it's from uh, Martha and the Vandals. It's Dancing in the Street. Nothing will ever compare to the original. But I like Van Halen's take on this. And I think they really kind of introduced an iconic song to a new generation of fans. Of course, it was uh, covered a little bit later by Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Kind of an awkward video between two uh, giants in, in music history. But Dance in the Streets, that's number four. Number three, I didn't know this was a cover when I first had the Eat em and Smile album. And Steve Vai, how incredible is it David Lee Roth gets to work with Eddie Van Halen and Steve Vai back-to-back? It's amazing. And I guess if you can't have Eddie... You got to get somebody else out there that's iconic. I saw Steve play in uh, Birmingham by myself uh, last year. I think that's right. Yeah, last year. It was great. I'd never been to a show like that. You know, because like you go to concerts and like, you know, everybody sings along and cheers, but when Steve is playing, everybody's quiet because it's all instrumental, right? And you just kind of enjoy the genius that's in front of you. It is absolutely spectacular to be able to see that. But the work that he did on this John Brim song, Tobacco Road, its I think it's palm muting he uses. I don't play guitar well, but uh, it is ridiculous the way this is portrayed here. I mean, like when you go back and listen to this performance, and if you're not a person that's familiar with that Adam and Smile album, I would encourage you to get familiar with it. I think the only song on there from a composition standpoint that compares is Yankee Rose, which is obviously a classic song. But Tobacco Road, there are some things in that song that really show how special Steve Vai is. Number two, the first solo single off Eat em and Smile, off of uh, Crazy from the Heat, excuse me, 
is the California girls. And all of a sudden, Dave made the Beach Boys cool to my generation. You know, we looked at all that stuff before, and it's like, oh, that's old people's music. You know, it's like that's what my parents listened to when they were they were kids, listening on the jukebox and things like that. And all of a sudden, Dave puts this thing out there, and it kind of united the generations. Everybody could kind of enjoy a new version of the song. So California Girls, number two. Number one for me, and I suspect probably for most, most Van Halen fans, and there are a lot of people that didn't know this was a cover, but this version of Ice Cream Man that Eddie Van Halen pulls off, if that doesn't inspire you to greatness, and maybe in some respects, maybe if you're playing the guitar, you hear that, you think, you know what, I'm done. I'm never going to be able to match that. Ice Cream Man is an amazing track, and they modernized this old blue standard and made it their own song. When you hear the song Ice Cream Man, you think, oh, that's, yeah, that's a Van Halen track. It's an original track. It's not. But they did such an amazing job with it, it sounds like it. So off Van Halen 1, Ice Cream Man. Stop me when I'm passing by. We've had that on the show many times. I love that track. So there you go, your top 10 David Lee Roth covers. And I suspect that your David Lee Roth covers list will do better than New Order and Nirvana. And I think at the end of the day, you look at David Lee Roth and the expanses of his career, one of the biggest front men, certainly of my generation. You know, we get hung up on that sometimes too. Dave wasn't a great singer. He was a good singer. He was a great front man. And so when you start comparing, you know, people always say, well, there's, there's Mick Jagger, and then there's um, you know, Freddie Mercury, Axl Rose. I got Dave in that conversation too, man. Dave was quite the showman. And may not have been the vocalist of Freddie Mercury, but, and, and, and few are, right? And Axl Rose in his prime was never like an operatic type singer, but was probably better than, um, than Dave. But I think Dave's uh, experiences with martial arts and stuff allowed him to be, you know, an incredible stage performer. And I don't know that he gets enough credit for it these days. And one of the things that I noticed, too, it's kind of unfortunate, too. The thing that I always see is like when somebody dies, all of a sudden you see all their music just immediately explode on iTunes. I don't know that we got... Maybe the explosion for Van Halen we should have with Eddie Van Halen passing away. And there is some talk that there's some uh, unreleased tracks that at some point that they'll release at the right time, probably when everybody's running out of money. But I don't know how you finish them. You know, how do you bring in somebody that can build upon the great Eddie Van Halen? I don't know how you do that. You know, I know when the Rev died from Event Sevenfold, they brought in Mike Portnoy, who was the Rev's favorite drummer. And he played uh, Jimmy's parts. I don't know that anybody can play Eddie Van Halen. There are a lot of people that can mimic Eddie. I don't know that anybody can play with the same level of soul and feel as Eddie. But I, I hope at some point those tracks get out there. And of course, there's you know, supposedly going to be some new Soundgarden music. You know, the uh, Vicky Cornell and the, the band finally settled that. I think there's eight tracks that were somewhat finished for a new album we're supposedly going to get that there's rumors that tom morello has about two albums worth of audio slave stuff that's unreleased that chris cornell helped write and record i don't know when we get all that stuff i don't know why we're sitting on that stuff though and it's like well, well wait for the right time when's the right time 
know, the fans always want this stuff. I, I know I do. Um, so the sooner, the better. The sooner, if there are any, you know, tracks out there that Eddie put together, I think even if they're in demo form, we want them. You know, to, to know that we have a little piece of, of what's left, you know, of that legacy, you know, which will live forever, but to have something new. It's just like, you know, when Mike Shinoda found um, the track Lost from the uh, Meteora Sessions with Chester Bennington, they said, well, we put that out there because we held it back initially because it sounded so much like numb, and it was so good to hear something new from Chester on the radio. And so I, and it immediately goes to number one. And so I think that's one of those things you look at, too, that I know there's always record companies involved and business people and things like that. But I know we as fans want to get um, these new tracks whenever we can. So that's your top ten list. Thanks, as always, to Blair Chandler. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. And I love those guys. I do. I buy my Mississippi State merch there. I do. I like to shop local. You should, too. You should support a Starville business whenever you can. If you can't make it to town and see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks, and you order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Uh, you've let the season get here. We're not ready to start thinking about Christmas, though, because we, we need some gear. It's going to be cooling off a little bit. We're starting to get some cooler nights. Maybe it's time to start thinking about a sweatshirt, possibly a hoodie. If uh, if you got teenagers in your life, they're always thinking about hoodies. Nobody's going to have a better selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known world than Campus Bookmart. Be sure and check them out again at campusbookmart.net. All right, uh, let's take a quick look here at our SEC stats. Small sample size to start. But the leading passer in the Southeastern Conference is A.J. Swan. Well, it kind of stands to reason they played one extra game. But the number two guy is a guy we're going to see next week, Spencer Rattler, 698 yards of passing. The guy that we're going to see this week is the third leading passer in the conference with 615 yards. They've only played the two games. Of course, uh, had a really big one against Grambling. As you'd expect, just behind him, Jackson darted 601. So those are your passing leaders. So AJ Swan leads because he's played the extra game. That's not to say that he hadn't played well. He has. Absolutely has. Leading running back, leading rusher, excuse me, in the Southeastern Conference is your Woody Marks. 250 yards. Now Tennessee's running the football really well. They got two running backs in the top five, starting with Jalen Wright who was second in the league at 233. Cody Schrader, who was ahead of Woody, heading into last week's actions from Missouri, is 222. Ray Davis from uh, Kentucky, 164 from a Vanderbilt running back. And then Jabari Small, also from Tennessee. So you have Tennessee, again, two of the top uh, five. But Woody hanging right in there with him. And now Woody, of course, uh, tied for the school record when it comes to receptions in Mississippi State. Uh, receiving yards, we're going to be down the list on this one in case you didn't know. Uh, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina leads the league with 296 receiving yards. Evan Stewart from A&M, 257. Brian Thomas, we'll see him this weekend from LSU, 220. That LSU wide receiver, Corey, is really good. Of course, we'll get into more of that on uh, on Friday's show. 
But, uh, yeah, our secondary is going to be tested. And, and Jaden Daniels and Jaden DeLora are different players. They have the same first name and both are very mobile. Uh, I would submit to you that uh, Daniels is much better with the deep throw. You know, he didn't just have to kind of heave up. He, he can hurt you with the deep ball, especially down the hashes. Uh, Will Shepard from Vanderbilt, 217 yards, and then Ricky Persall from Florida, 215. Sacks. It's interesting. Just the two games, right? Again, a small sample size. But uh, Tennessee with two in the top three. Really actually tied for first place. Tyler Barron and James Pierce from Tennessee with three apiece. And then C.J. Taylor from Vanderbilt. And again, the extra game there. So you got to factor that in. And then there's your Jet Johnson with two sacks. If memory serves me correct, Jet had one last year. He was credited with State's only sack against Arizona. And you say, Steve, I don't remember one. Yeah, uh, Jet ran him out of bounds two yards short of the marker. That counts as a sack. But we never got him on the ground until the final play of the game, you know. He slid the rest of the time. DeLar did a good job evading us and protecting himself. Uh, Niles Gaddy and a host of others also with uh, with two sacks. Interceptions. Tied for the lead in the SEC is Judd Johnson. Of course, he had two against Arizona. Just behind him is DeRicky Wright uh, from Vanderbilt, who had two against Hawaii. He's kind of just been riding there ever since. Uh, cornerback Jaywin Simpson from Auburn, also with two. Uh, Nate Clifton from Vanderbilt has a pick. And then there's Bookie Watson. So not a lot of thievery so far in the Southeastern Conference through a couple of weeks. The tackles list is a little bit interesting just because of the fact, again, Vandy's had three games. So once they get a bye week or an open date, this will kind of, uh, you know, work its way out. But C.J. Taylor leads the SEC in tackles with 25. Also from Vanderbilt, Langston Patterson with 22. Jaheim Thomas from Arkansas with 20. Off to a really good start in Fayetteville. Trevin Wallace, a linebacker from Kentucky. And uh, you kind of expect that, right, at Kentucky. They have just, you know, under Stoops, they always seem to have one or two linebackers, you know, no matter who they are, that uh, are very productive in that scheme. Shamar James from uh, Florida, right, tied there with him. Uh, kind of getting a little bit deeper here. Uh, let's look at scoring a little bit here. The leading scorer in the Southeastern Conference, and again, three games in, it's Will Shepard, wide receiver from Vanderbilt. We had that same distinction last year because they go and play the Hawaii and those games get out there early. Uh, a newcomer to the Southeastern Conference at Ole Miss from Louisiana Tech, wide receiver Trey Harris. He has five receiving touchdowns already. And that's just in two games. So, you know, if you do it, you know, by appearance or by snap, Trey Harris at this point, the most uh, prolific scorer in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Noah Thomas, wide receiver from A&M, is a 24, tied with Dylan Sampson, a running back from Tennessee. Ole Miss kicker Caden Davis, 21 total points, uh, tied with uh, Peyton Woodring from Georgia among kickers. And then there's a host of other kickers. And uh, tied for fifth in the Southeastern Conference in scoring is Kyle Ferry, freshman Kyle Ferry, former SEC Freshman of the Week, Kyle Ferry. So great start for him. Woody Marks is tied for sixth with Tennessee quarterback Joe Milton with 18 points uh, on the year. Rather interesting, right? You look at rushing touchdowns. You, know, you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, it's Woody Marks tied 
with three others. Joe Milton from Tennessee, Quenshawn Judkins from Ole Miss, and Robbie Ashford from Auburn. Dylan Sampson, too, from, from Tennessee. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a host of people right there uh, scoring touchdowns on the ground. And it's not atypical that Woody would score, uh, and certainly not from the ground, because when we got in close, we like to give him the football. Dylan Johnson uh, carried some last year as well. But uh, you got some Bulldogs, you look at these offensive numbers, and you think, you know, maybe things aren't quite as, um, as bad as we thought. But the reality of it is we just kind of slowed ourselves down. Uh, did you think two, two games in the season you'd look up and Will Rogers would be 11th in the SEC in passing? Did you think that? What's even more interesting to me is K.J. Jefferson is, is behind him at 12. But running the numbers here real quickly here, you know, we already talked about, you know, Swan, Rattler, Daniels, and Dart. There's Carson back from Georgia at 5, Connor Wegman from A&M at 6, Devin Leary from Kentucky at 7, Graham Mertz 8 from Florida – Jalen Milrow, they got quarterback issues at Alabama. They do. Nine, Joe Milton. A lot of people thought he'd be the next Hendon Hooker. It's not fair to expect that of him, but he's 10th. But uh, I suspect you're going to see Will Rogers climb a little bit this week, but uh, we're you know, kind of behind several players here uh, to make a challenge here. And uh, Will's not going to lead the SEC in passing this year, and we're not going to lead in any receiving categories either, unless something changes kind of how it is. Uh, we have not been able to really get too loose. A lot of uh, touchbacks, you know, and, and why would you kick it to Tulu Griffin? Well, you wouldn't if you had a choice, right? And so that's a part of this deal too. You know, you start thinking we get a little bit deeper, the air gets a little bit thicker, it's a little bit colder, and there's going to be more kicks to return. Uh, looking at the Southeastern Conference right now, there's only been two kickoffs returned for touchdowns this year. And uh, that was uh, Barry and Brown from uh, Kentucky and Jaden McGowan from Vandy. But uh, we're pretty far down the list there. Uh, looking at tackles real quick here before we get on them. We're going to talk some baseball here before we get out the door. But, uh, of course, the Vanderbilt guys are up there we discussed before. But, uh, you know, you got Bookie Watson right there at fifth, tied with a few other guys. Jet Johnson is sixth. Former Mississippi State Lane Edrin Cooper. At A&M now at 8. And you got to get a little bit deeper before you find the Bulldog, all the way down to 12th. And DeMonte Russell and Sean Preston are tied with a host of others for 12th. And so a lot of that, too, is, you know, you got to make tackles, you got to get off the field. But in reality, uh, Mississippi State defensively has played pretty well. You know, uh, I think we would probably agree with that. There have been some, uh, some times you look at and say, well, you know, we'd like to see a little bit um, – a little bit more, you know, and, and maybe that's asking a bit much. I think what you need more than anything else is you need a little continuity on offense. You know, we had that first quarter malaise, you know, um, uh, back in against Southeastern. And, you know, we kind of had a slow start, too. You know, this was Steve, we scored, should have scored in our first three drives, maybe in that second quarter because of the fact that we allowed the uh, – <clears throat> Arizona to dominate time of possession, you know, that, that's a big part of that. It all works hand in hand. But, uh, you know, looking at, you know, some team numbers here, I think this is important. You know, we, we, total offense, you know, Mississippi State is ninth in the SEC in offense, ninth. Of course, Vanderbilt's first, 
because of three games. But the most prolific offense in this conference is yards per game are your LSU Tigers, who we're going to see this weekend, averaging 540 yards. And, again, those numbers are skewed a little bit uh, because of the fact they played Grambling last week. And, and they would argue, well, you know, Mississippi State played an FCS opponent in week one. So, really, we don't really know where they are. But we're right there in the middle of the pack. And what you probably didn't realize is that who's ahead, who State's ahead of. Right behind State, 20 yards behind us in total offense is the University of Alabama. Did you, did you expect that? And how about Arkansas, dead last in the league offensively? Did you expect that? I, I didn't. I, again, I think they're a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five team. But without Rocket, they're a, they're, they're a much more pedestrian team. Uh, Auburn, 13th in the league. Yeah. That's one thing we talked about. Hugh Freeze needs some players. Yeah, but uh, LSU, the most prolific offense. And, again, it's a small sample size, right? But if, not, if nothing else, we got enough here to kind of keep us occupied. You know, not that LSU is not enough, but kind of understanding how things work. But that's where we are. Uh, yeah, so we'll revisit this every couple of weeks and just kind of see how things are going and where the Bulldogs look and that sort of stuff. But, you know, we got our work cut out for us this weekend at LSU, or at home against LSU. But can State win a football game? You better believe we can. We're going to have to play well. We're going to have to play better than we did last year. You know, we have a lot of points on the field last year. And I look forward to kind of breaking the Tigers down and talking with you guys in depth on, on Friday about what to expect when LSU is on the field. But uh, uh, I'm going to write a piece later today, kind of about 11 a.m. games. What, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do the players feel about it? How do the coaches feel about it? We've got a lot of quotes, things we'll talk about. And as uh, most guys will tell you, they don't ever ask me anything about schedule. We just got to go play when they tell us. But uh, I've talked to some former players that have some varying opinions about that, you know, about – uh, does it favor the home team or the road team? What well, certainly favors the home team, but nobody appears to really like the 11 a.m. games. You remember Sylvester Croom used to love them. Let's just go get it done, right? Didn't always work out as well as we'd like it to, but we did win some big games at times at 11 a.m. Okay, before we jump into a little uh, fall baseball recap, I want to let you guys know, too, if you've ever considered investing in Starkville, you've got a golden opportunity. We want to welcome a new sponsor to the show. Going to be with us for a short time, but uh, – I had a chance uh, Saturday morning before the ball game to uh, to go out and, and view an amazing property right off the Mississippi State campus. And so if, if you have like today, I think I want to get into maybe some uh, multi-family residential development. It's a great opportunity. If you're looking to maybe build a home here, there's a great opportunity. Our friends at the International Auction in conjunction with some Mississippi State donors and developers, they're going to have an auction. Yeah, they're going to have an auction, and you can be a part of that. Uh, guys, it's amazing. 156 acres of developmental property. They're going to sell it in three tracks. They're going to have an auction on Thursday, October the 12th. Thursday, October the 12th. And uh, while you're thinking about that, this weekend, if you come out there, they're actually going to have an open house uh, from uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. this Sunday. Yeah, so you're going to come up here for the ball game, spend the weekend, go check out the property, and begin to think about that uh, because the uh, you know the auction is going to be here before you know it. We're talking under a month's time. So be thinking about that. It, there is a bidder deposit, $25,000 for the entirety of the property, or $10,000 per track. 
That's payable by personal check, business check, cashier's check. Um, and the checks are always returned to uh, unsuccessful bidders. But uh, you can get more information, obviously, uh, by going out there and checking it out at the open house this weekend. Uh, it's right, you know where the Sprint Mart is on 182? Like when you come in off, of, come in off 82? Uh, it's right there. You, know, you, you take the road, it winds around on Sterling Drive there. The, um, the on-site auction is going to take place at 2 Sterling Drive, but just up the street from the old clubhouse, because this is the old golf course. Some amazing property out there. Just up the street there, it's technically 3 Sterling Drive. They're going to have the pool house, and uh, you, know, you can get more information. So be sure and check that out. Be thinking about that, that auction coming up before you know it. Your chance to own a piece of Starkville, Mississippi, right off the Mississippi State campus. You always wanted to live here. Maybe it's been your dream to retire here. How about having a chance to bid on 156 acres? Yeah. And again, I've toured the property. Guys, there's five lakes out there. So if you're looking for country living and looking for a chance to be close to campus, this is your opportunity. And it's located in the Opportunity Zone. Um, there's no zoning out there, too, so you can kind of uh, live life the way you want to. 5,000 square feet of water frontage, 3,000 square feet on Sand Creek. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would certainly consider this a, a, a chance to have a lot of land, whether it be to uh, maybe you want to build a little development out there, or maybe you just want a place to just kind of be in the sticks. You can take care of that. Uh, international auction. Those great folks uh, doing a wonderful job. The phone number, 1-888-861-0999. That's 888-861-0999. Hey, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I do want to touch on uh, you know some fall baseball scrimmage news. We were there Friday and Sunday. You'll have a chance again this Friday and Sunday uh, to watch the Bulldogs scrimmage uh, for the fall. It's kind of neatly positioned around uh, football on Saturday. So you could come out and spend the whole weekend cheering for the Diamond Dogs and the Mississippi State football team. Now, I want to go over some newcomers here. One of the guys that really jumped out to me is Makai Grant. Now, it was a, it's a big deal that he actually came to school instead of going pro. Dad, a former pro boxer, obviously a very athletic family. Very first warm-up pitch he threw was 96 miles an hour. He eventually got up to 97, but he was consistently sitting at 96, and there is life on that fastball. Did a great job spotting up his slider, got some swing and miss on that. He is a kid that's going to be able to help us this year. I think you're going to be really excited about him. Uh, let me see, get a little bit deeper in the list here. Uh, K.K. Clark did some nice things. That's uh, Kellum Clark's younger brother. You're going to be excited about him, too. That's, that's a guy that's going to be able to help us. You know, he's already had Tommy John surgery. He's working his way back. But it's good to see him out there spotting up that breaking ball. Uh, we haven't seen uh, Cal Steven pitch or uh, Carson Ligon. Hopefully, we'll see him this uh, weekend. I know that Steven's not hadn't been quite 100%, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Stone Simmons got out there and pitched a little bit. Stone sitting 93, working down in his own, had good sync. I don't rule out the possibility of Stone Simmons being your closer come February. We need one, right? I, I wouldn't count him out. He's a guy, obviously, that's mentally tough. He's got good stuff. It's one of those deals, too. You, you need a guy on the back end that's kind of unflappable. And, and after all that Stone's been through, you and I both know he is tough enough physically and mentally to take on that challenge. Uh, Will Passo, 
grandfather played baseball at state. I think this kid's going to be able to help us. One of the things that impressed me is he was able to spot up that breaking ball. He's a guy that was a you know relief pitcher, went to junior college. Uh, he's a guy that can pitch backwards. That's the thing. The point I'm trying to make is he comes out immediately and starts spotting up that breaking ball down in the zone. And if you're going to miss, you want to miss down. But he consistently hit the knees with that breaker. And when he did miss, it's out of the zone. So you're getting under barrels there. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to be able to match up and do some good things for us. Uh, Nate Dome threw out the first pitch of the fall. Uh, Nate throwing the ball hard. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise, right? Uh, I think don't rule out Nate as a potential starter this year. I think it's one of those things people look at and say, you know what, Steve, he was our best arm out of the bullpen to keep him there. You got more options this year. So I think it gives you some flexibility to do what you need to with Nate. And Nate's a guy, Nate just wants a baseball. He didn't care. He didn't matter if it's at the back end of the game, front of the game. He just wants to have the baseball when the game is on the line. He wants to be in those big innings. Um, and I was happy to see him pitch as well as he did. Uh, Gavin Black, I was eager to see him. And I don't know that anybody popped a mitt the way he did, which tells me he's getting a really good spin rate on that fastball. He has good velo, throwing mid-90s. But uh, you know it when he's on the bump. I mean, it, he's a bigger guy throws the ball exceptionally hard, and just there is a presence with him and a bit of a swagger that this team, I think, has lacked. You need some guys that are confident that can get people out. Uh, did a nice job for us, for sure. Uh, Gage Haley, I thought, did some good things as well. Uh, even Nate Williams. And Nate Williams, another thicker guy. And, uh, you know, I was told back in the summer, you know, they got to get him throwing strikes again. But, uh, you know, he was a guy highly recruited out of junior college, considered by many to be the number one junior college closer in the country. And that's another possibility for you. And if he can take that role, of course, then that gives you a little more flexibility with Stone. You know, Stone is a guy, obviously, that can uh, work in middle relief for you, eat up a couple innings, maybe get you through the order one time. Uh, Brooks Auger pitched, got in a little bit of trouble, got out of it. It's good to see those guys back. And we could have used both of them last year. We didn't. We didn't use them. Let them get healthy. And now they're available to pitch again this year. And, you know, uh, Auger's a guy that got some phone calls from MLB teams uh, back during the summer, even though he didn't pitch last year. That's pretty impressive, too. Luke Dodson, that's a name I think you need to remember, too. Luke Dodson DH'd and then pitched. Did a good job at both. Hit a tank, the kick and play. And maybe a guy that uh, could do some dh for you. And Jackson McKenzie's a guy, too. That, that guy looks like a baller already. Big, big physical kid. Nice whippy swing. Very athletic. And I tell you, probably the guy that surprised me the most, and we talked about him on the show when he committed, was uh, Steven Spalletta. You know, former two-lane signee, and, and, you know, things didn't go the way they expect him to go, and so he gets out of his uh, letter of intent, and now he's here, and he hit a home run in right center. Looked pretty good behind the plate. He's athletic, got good footwork. And when you begin to think about this catcher room, right, I mean, you know what you have in Ross Highfield. But now you've got Johnny Long, a senior. Uh, you got Jackson Owen, a junior. Highfield, a sophomore, and Spalletta. And uh, I don't know how much Spalletta plays this year, but I was encouraged by what I saw. Is he going to challenge for the starting job this year? Absolutely not. But this is a guy here. You start grooming him for the future. 
you know, because I don't know what year Ross is draft eligible, but Ross is going to be picked, you know, in the first, you know, two or three rounds of this draft when it's all said and done. But to have Spoletta on campus is big. And again, I think this year you probably go with the older guys. You know, and Spoletta's a guy that you probably just work with Cheesebro and, and uh, get him ready for SEC play. But the floor looks to be pretty elevated. You know, this is a guy that's come in, doesn't appear to be intimidated. I was really impressed with him. Dylan Kopp, we've talked about him extensively on this show. Everybody's told me this guy is an elite defender. And if he had been an above-average bat, he'd have been a first-rounder. And that's really the challenge for Gotro now is to kind of round out that part of his game. So the very first ground ball he gets, it's a, it's a ball deep in a six-hole. He gets to it with ease. But it's David Mershon coming down the line, and he realizes that, and he tries to bounce it over there. It didn't work out quite as well. But after that, this kid was picking and sticking, man. And uh, I think he is going to be your starting shortstop. I don't really have much question about that. And it's nice to have Mershon, who also was really good at short, uh, made some plays that uh, the average shortstop doesn't make. And you got Imani Larry, too, of course, that uh, can be your guy there at second base. But you basically have what I believe at first glance are three middle infielders that can help this team win. But Mershon and Cup defensively are at a different level compared to most younger guys. You know what Imani's going to give you? I mean, he is a second baseman by trade, doesn't have the arm to play short. Not everybody does, but you saw how athletic he was last year and the diving catches that he made. Uh, he is a guy that can help you. Uh, you know, if he had moved on, you, well, you still have Marshawn, right? But you wouldn't have depth. And so I think you got to move some guys around a little bit, you know, give some guys some reps. But I thought we got off to a good start. I thought we really did. Uh, and, of course, there were some other guys that did some things. I didn't mention everybody. But I just wanted to mention the guys that kind of stood out to me. I thought Logan Forsyth, I didn't mention him earlier. Uh, I thought he was good. You know, and he was a guy last year that, um, you know, had to kind of maybe pitch before he was ready. But the main thing is you got numbers. Now, we haven't seen Pico Cone pitch yet. I don't suspect we will in the fall. But there is talk about him pitching this year. He's ahead of a schedule. That's a great thing for us. A big, big-time left-handed arm. Evan Sierra, of course, a great summer. I don't recall seeing him pitch this, uh, you know, this past weekend. Maybe we'll see him this weekend. And we'll be out there, uh, you know, covering it, giving you full coverage over at jeanspage.com. Uh, we have a great time with it. And uh, you got to cover everything. Aaron Downs is a guy that uh, had some off-season surgery. We don't expect him to do anything in the fall. And the poor kid's been hurt the whole time he's been here. But uh, I'm eager to see Cam Schulke pitch. I'm eager to see Cal Steven pitch and Carson Ligon. Ready to see what those guys can do. But Shulky, because he is a multi-slot guy, we haven't seen that in a while at Mississippi State. Um, ready to see, you know, kind of what he can do. But, uh, again, it's just one weekend, but I was encouraged. I was encouraged by what I saw. Dakota Jordan, of course, doing Dakota things. And, yes, he's taking all his reps out there in right field uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, there's a lot riding on this year, and we all know this. And uh, it's difficult to say, well, Steve, how good are we going to be? I don't know, but I can tell you this. We got off to a good start. Now, the first game on Friday, we kind of booted the ball around just a little bit. It was better on Sunday. It was better. Two six-inning games, and uh, I saw there was one guy on our message board that you know, put up, 
oh, there were still five walks and, and two hit by pitches. That's too many. Well, yeah, it's 12 innings of pitching when you begin to figure it up. That's, that's the Sunday game, right? Because Bulldogs pitched both sides of the frame. So it's 12 innings of pitching. If, if we're going to get five walks in 12 innings, it means you're probably going to get three or four walks a game. You can live with that. You know, that was the thing last year with so many walks and hit by pitches, and that's got to get better. And listen, and, and you tweak a little bit in the fall. That's the thing that I think sometimes the fans don't appreciate. It's not like we're already a finished product. What we're going to put on the field in February is already here. The players are here. But we got to define the roles for those guys. And right now, you know, Parker's got those guys. They've been working together about two weeks. So you're working with maybe some alternate grips, and you're working with movement. You're working with delivery. You're changing some things. And you work at it with the fall, and then you figure out what works and what doesn't. You throw out what doesn't. And when you come back for preseason practice uh, after Christmas, you work on those things. This is what we're going to utilize. This guy's going to have this role and that role. So, yeah, I'm intrigued by the pieces. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you we're going to Omaha yet. But I do think we do a pretty good job of putting the ball in play. And I do think we did a better job throwing strikes. If memory serves me correct, Brooks Auger struck out the first guy that he saw. And I was encouraged for Brooks. I really was. And uh, so, again, some pieces that have come in that appeared to be as advertised on first glance. And some other guys that were unavailable last year that are back that look like they're going to be able to help us. So, uh, again, we'll give you full coverage again this weekend. I'll be shooting pictures on Friday. Mike Neiman, of course, uh, you know, working your coverage for you. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cover the ball game uh, between LSU and Mississippi State Saturday morning. We'll be right back out there Sunday afternoon. And uh, hopefully the bride will be able to be out there with us. And uh, we'll have a good time with that. And she wanted to offer her apologies because she won't be able to do a top ten list for us this week. And it's already Wednesday. You know, but she'll be – quick turnaround for her. She uh, comes home Friday. We cover the game Saturday. And she's got to go back to Knoxville on Sunday – and then work Monday, Tuesday, and then we get on a plane to San Diego on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, we'll see how things go. Of course, the new business, things are progressing. You know, things are getting done. We're just kind of waiting for everybody else to do their jobs now. I mean, my job in the last few weeks has been to write checks, you know. Uh, so uh, things are going good. And reminder, that's, and that's truerest.com. If you want to know more about the new business we're opening here in Starkville, and everybody I talked to is so intrigued by us. I want to try that. Yeah, the, the main thing that I will tell you, and I think Dana would agree, the greatest benefit I get from it uh, when I go, I don't work out like she does, and uh, she's constantly you know getting to run in or lift in or whatever. I, you know, I'm just not that guy anymore. But as soon as I wake up in the morning, man, my mind is racing. Like I'm always engaged, always. I work late hours. I don't sleep a whole lot. But man, when I go float. It's like I get a mental reset. Like the world slows down for me a little bit. And, you know, because of the job that I have and the fact that we own a business and that, you know, like to, even today, I've already done two interviews today, recorded the show, and I got another one coming up this afternoon. And there's always somebody kind of pulling on me. And so it's nice for a while to be able to turn my phone off, get in the float, and just be for a while and just kind of reset and chill and let my mind be quiet for a while. That's probably the best way to describe it. When I float, my mind is quiet for an hour. And then even after I get out of there, it's like, okay, where am I? You know, uh, because it is so foreign to me. But I think to myself after I floated the first time, it's like, 
where's this been my whole life? I mean, this would have been a great resource for me to have. And it's so special for us to be able to bring the very first true rest location in Mississippi to Starkville. And we first started talking about this. People were like, well, you know, know, Starkville's such a small town. You know, maybe you should do it in Tupelo. Maybe you should do it in Columbus. Maybe you should consider even doing it in Jackson or Madison. I'm like, no, we're doing it here in Starkville, Mississippi. We're going to make Starkville a better place. That's not to say that we won't look to expand at some point, but can we get the first one open first before we start thinking about that? But, um, yeah, we're going to be dependent on you guys too. I mean, you're going to be able to go book online and schedule an appointment. And that's the thing I think about. You don't even have to live in Starkville, right? And uh, you think, hey, ball game weekends, when you're making all your preparations, be thinking about, hey, let me go ahead and sign up for a float and make an appointment so when I get there at the end of my work week, because we're going to be open at 10 o'clock at night, yeah, that's right. And so, you know what, we get to Starkville and get get all our stuff stowed away, and I'll go float and just kind of start my weekend off on the right foot. That's something to consider. But you get more information at truerest.com. And speaking of giving your website links, uh, whenthebottomfalls.com, that's where the new book can be pre-ordered. All my sports books are there. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, uh, Dog Pile, and, of course, uh, When the Bottom Falls. And uh, everything everything's done now. We're just waiting for the printer uh, to return the book, and probably here in a couple of days we'll have an actual delivery date. It will absolutely be in October, though. Uh, I say October. It, what I'm really telling you is it's not going to be September. It'll be October, uh, mid, probably mid-October. We, originally we were hoping to be late September, early October. Uh, it will not be in September. So if you've pre-ordered books, just kind of understand that. And uh, we'll get them to you. Uh, I had a chance to read through it again yesterday. You know, got the, the, the proofs back from you know, the typeset and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, it's kind of surreal to me. But, uh, yeah, please go pre-order the book. Again, we're going to be dependent on you guys so much uh, for the new business. And, of course, uh, jeanspage.com. Uh, you guys have been so incredibly supportive of me. Uh, I just I can't begin to, to share with you my gratitude uh, for what you guys have done. Really to allow me to bring you this show and to, to work and doing what I love for so many years. Uh, I didn't do that alone. You know, I, I work hard at it. But if you guys weren't a part of this, if you didn't read it, you didn't listen to it, there's no point in me doing it. I'd be doing something else, probably back in the furniture business or something with a short haircut. So thank you for allowing me to be me. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.